to have everybody here this morning. Good to see some of you back. I know it's been sick and uh, bound by the bound to the house, and you are uh, either whether you had COVID or whether you knew somebody that had COVID or whether you had a distant relative that had COVID or something like that, and you weren't able to be here, but you're back. Got some visitors here today, and we're just we're just very glad that you're here. Um, before I jump into the message this morning, I want to tell you about a little dream that I had a few nights ago. I had this dream. I was here and I was preaching. You all were here. And in my dream, as I was preaching, nobody was paying attention. It was like everybody was like talking to one another and people just get up and they'd walk to the back of the room and they'd carry this conversation. And I'm up here preaching my heart out. And I remember my dream being so frustrated. I'm thinking, I've got a word from God and these people aren't listening to me. They were going everywhere. And in my dream, I picked up a, music, a, a mic stand and I, started, I just started going around. I was swinging it in front of everybody. And in my, in my dream, I'm not making this up. In my dream, I was shouting, Jesus swung a whip and I'm going to swing a microphone stand. I said all that to say, I would pay close attention today if I were you. So I'm still kind of mad about it all, you know. You guys, has, have any of you husbands ever, your wife had a bad, you know, had a dream in the middle of the night, you did something bad in your dream, and you wake up and she's mad at you? You know, she's mad at you because of what you did in your dream? Like, I, so that's kind of the way I am. I'm a little angry this morning, so I would pay close attention and um, save yourself a little bit of pain. So, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start here. You can, you don't have to turn the first verse I'm going to read will be on the screen, but if you want to kind of get a head start, you can turn into the book of Mark, chapter 7. We'll read there here in just a few minutes. <clears throat> oh, I lost my water. I got myself all thirsty swinging that microphone stand. So let me read this verse just to kind of use as a text this morning for the message. First John chapter 5 verses 2 and 3 says this. <clears throat> By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Okay, the King James says his commandments are not grievous. Ultimately, what it's saying is that God has uh, a way for us to live. He's got commandments that are built into our society, not for God's sake so much as it is for our own sake. And you've heard me say this a thousand times, if the entire world would live by God's commandments, this world would be different, right? The reason the world is so bad is because we as humans break God's commandments all of the time. And so in the scripture, he's saying, you know, God's commandments are not burdensome. They're, it's, they're really not that hard. Now, God, God himself is complex. God himself is, is impossible for us as humans to comprehend everything there is to know about God. He's so far, the Bible says that um, his ways are higher than our ways. So, so we can, in our human understanding, understand there is everything to know about God because he's so beyond our human understanding. But as, as complex as God is, he made the path to salvation very simple. And a lot of this, you know, maybe you're kind of new to church, maybe you're, you're kind of new to all this, and it just seems so complicated, it seems so confusing, and I just want to encourage you this morning, don't blame God for man's ignorance. Man, people are usually what end up making things so complicated. The, pla the plan of salvation, the plan of God is so very, very simple, and that's kind of what I'm going to preach along those lines today. In fact, the title of my message is, It's Not Rocket Science, okay? Let's pray. Father, today we come before you and we thank you for the simplicity that is in Christ. That is, 
amazing and beyond comprehension as you are, you make yourself knowable to us as human beings. God, that you would leave the realms of heaven and come down to this earth and put on human flesh to walk where we walk, God, is beyond our, our comprehension. Today, God, I stand here as, a, as just a vessel, a man, uh, that you want to speak through today. And I pray this morning that you would eliminate some confusion in people's hearts and minds. Lord, your word declares that you are not the author of, confu of confusion. You are not the author of confusion. If we're confused in our minds about this gospel, it's because Satan has confused our minds. It's because people have confused our minds. I pray today, make it simple. Help us to all see your heart today in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. It's not rocket science. So that's a phrase that we have a tendency to use when somebody is making something more complicated than it needs to be. Kind of like this. Nope, wrong one. There you go. already late. Somebody will come. Anybody out there? Do you have a phone? Nope. Sorry. Somebody! <laughs> Hello! There are two people stuck on an escalator and we need help. Now, would somebody please do something? I don't believe this. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> well, there's nothing else left to do. <laughs> oh. Hello. Hey, don't worry about it. I'll fix it in a second. <laughs> he said he could fix it. <laughs> All right. All right. That's more like it. He says he can fix it. <laughs> so, so, as you can see, we have a tendency to make things more complicated than it has to be, right? It's, it's not rocket science. You just walk up the escalator, but they couldn't quite seem to get that. And so... You know, I don't know about you, but I find myself doing stuff like this every now and again. I'm going to give you another example. How many know what these are? Anybody know what this is? What is it? Can anyone knows? It's for cutting PVC pipe. This is for cutting PVC pipe, okay? So a few weeks ago, um, the, regular, the pressure regulator on our well went out, and uh, so therefore sent uh, water rushing through our water lines at, I don't know, 497,000 feet per second. I don't know how fast it goes, but... Blew a water line out in our basement, okay, just this fitting just exploded and water was raining down from our basement, my newly renovated basement. So I, I, I've shut the water supply off to that and I, I cut the sheetrock out and I'm having to now fix this whole section of plumbing. And I used to have a pair of these and I couldn't find them. So when I went to, to Wagner's to uh, get all the fittings for, for plumbing, I picked myself up a new pair of these. So I get back home and I get everything out, I pull these out of the box and uh, I, I'm ready to cut the pipe. And I'm like, I can't get the things open. There's a blade right here. And so I'm pulling like this. And there's a couple little levers right in through here. I was, I was pulling them and 
you know, I was trying to, I, I worked for, I don't know how long, trying to get these things apart so I could use them. You put the pipe in here and you squeeze down on it because the pipe. And I couldn't figure it out. I finally, in my desperation, YouTubed it. I was ashamed of myself. I used to have a pair of these. I'm like, I should know how to run these. And, and I'm pulling and I'm doing all this stuff. So I YouTubed it. And this video on there, this little old Chinese man was on there. And he had the same problem I did. He said, I bought these and I couldn't figure out how to use them. So I decided once I figured out how to use them, I decided to make this video in case other people out there have the same problem that I did. You know how you open these? Yeah, that's it. You literally just pull it. I wasn't putting enough pressure on there. So easy. And I, I went out and, uh, of course, Brady, I had Brady in on it and he couldn't figure out how to do it. And I go out there, so you know how you open these? It's like that. So I was making something pretty easy, more complicated than it needed to be. So I was turning something easy into rocket science. Now go ahead and put up that next slide. Okay, do you know what this is? This is rocket science. All right, this, this is actual rocket science. Now, I had to blow, you know, Steve a few weeks ago got up here with his big fancy equation, so I had to blow him out of the water, right? Uh, although he's smart enough, he probably could figure this out. This, just leave us up here for just a few minutes. This is rocket science, okay? This is complicated, and we can easily turn this in, into that. Many times just by trying in our own strength and our own wisdom to figure things out. So I want to start, as I, as I start with this, I want to start talking a little bit about a group that we read about in the Bible known as the Pharisees. How many of you ever heard of the Pharisees? Okay. How many of you are a Pharisee? Let me see your hand. Okay. So, so here's the thing. Nobody raises their hand because nobody considers himself to be a Pharisee. But as we read through the scripture and we see what the Pharisees were like, I'm guessing, and I'm not going to make you admit it, but I'm guessing you'll find a little bit of Pharisee in you, okay? Uh, and the Pharisees, let me, let me just start off first of all by telling you what the Pharisees were. Okay, the Pharisees back in New Testament times during Jesus' day, uh, the Pharisees were a, a Jewish group, okay? They were, they were Jewish uh, religious and political leaders. They kind of had their own party known as uh, the Pharisees. Okay, so the Pharisees had representation on what was called the Sanhedrin, which was basically the, the Jewish Supreme Court. Okay, so these men were powerful. They had support of the Romans. The Romans were in charge of the whole world back then, and the Pharisees basically um, had the favor of the Roman government. So these men were very, very powerful, religious, political leaders. A lot of influence on the world around them. Okay, now they, they stuck real, they strictly observed the ritual laws of the, the, the law of Moses. So when you go into the Old Testament, specifically around Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, right in that area, we find what's called the law of Moses. Okay, included in that is the Ten Commandments. That's where you find the Ten, that's where God first said to the Jewish people and ultimately to the world, here's these commandments. But mixed in with the Ten what we know as the Ten Commandments was a lot of rules about sacrifices and cleaning and all of these types, all of these rules of the law of Moses. And these guys loved that. These guys tried their very best to hold the real strict rules and the rituals of the Old Testament law, and they tried to get everybody else to do so. So the bad thing about this, though, was not only in, in addition to the rituals of the law of Moses, they also came up with uh, their own set of rules, which was known as the tradition of the elders. 
Okay? The tradition of the elders. So what they did was they took God's rules, added their own stuff to it, right? Put their own little spin on it and come up with this whole set of rules that was known as the tradition of the elders. So what happened then eventually was the tradition of the elders, this little set of man-made rules, became more important to them than God's commandments. They were all worried about getting everybody to follow these traditions, you know, there's a lot of good traditions. We have traditions around, you know, Christmas time. We have our traditions. Um, uh, I'll, I'll better leave that alone. I, we have our own traditions. And, I, <laughs> and we have our traditions. So we, and they just become fun and little things like that. But what, what happens a lot of times, a crisis averted. Uh, what happens a lot of times is um, we bring tradition into church a lot of times. And some of them's not bad. We have traditions. You know, about every fall, we'll have a, a fish fry. That's kind of a tradition. That's something you kind of do a little ritualistically. But what happens, the problem is when we try to bring our traditions into the church and make them become law, make them become rules, make them become, well, if you don't do this, you're not a true Christian type thing. And that's kind of the way these guys were. These guys specialized in making, they made serving God harder than it needed to be. And Jesus called him out on it. He took him to the mat on it. Jesus was so, now Jesus, when you read through his life and his ministry, everybody he came in contact with, he just flowed compassion. I mean, he'd come in contact with a demon-possessed person, and he would show love and compassion. He'd come in contact with a prostitute. He would show love and compassion. Everybody, he showed love. He spoke kindly and softly, but the Pharisees, he ripped apart. Because God, God, one thing God can't stand is pride, right? And these people were making it so complicated for people to come to God that he, he finally called them out on it. Something as simple as honoring your father and your mother, they turned into rocket science. It's not that hard. The concept of honoring your mom and dad isn't that hard. That's pretty simple. They took this and turned it into that. And so I want to pick up here in the, in the book of Mark. Speaking of Mark, this is one of his fra favorite phrases as well. I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of uh, work with Mark Bowen over the, with the, the church and my house and stuff. And whenever I'm making something more complicated, he's, he's always saying, dude, it ain't rocket science. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, but this is a different Mark. This is, a, this is Mark that read, wrote part of the Bible. Mark chapter 7. Let's start reading of verse 1. It says, Then the Pharisees and, and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. Have you come across people always finding fault? If you have a tendency to always find fault with people, maybe a little bit of Pharisee in you. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be such a Pharisee. <laughs> huh? Yeah, yeah we, we should have handed out mirrors uh, when everybody came in today. So they found fault, for the Pharisees and, and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, uh, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and, and couches. So basically, you know, in the law embedded, there was a lot of 
hygiene type stuff embedded in the law, things that God would establish for the, for the benefit, you know, of people around them. But they took, such as washing hands. We just know, especially today, that's what you hear everywhere. You wash your hands before you eat. That's just good hygiene. But they took it to a whole other level. They said, no, not, only, not only are you supposed to wash your hands before you eat, and by, number one, I'm not so sure that the disciples didn't wash their hands. They just didn't wash them the way the Pharisees wanted them to. So they're like, no, 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 you, you have to wash your hands a certain way. They wanted it to be ritual. In order to be clean in God's eyes, in order to be accepted by God, that's what they're saying, you have to wash your hands a certain way. All your pots and everything have to be washed a certain way before you eat. Otherwise, you're defiled. You are wrong in the sight of God. I wonder if, I just had this thought, I wonder if that's where that whole Yankee Doodle thing came from. You know, you ever heard that? That while you're washing your hands, you just have to sing Yankee Doodle. You keep washing until you sing Yankee Doodle. At a certain way, a certain length, you had to do it in order to be uh, pleasing to God. And so they come to, Je they come to Jesus and they said, your disciples are not followers of God. They're not right because they're not washing their hands correctly. They're making, they're, they're making it more complicated than it needed to be. And Jesus says to them, um, in verse number six, he answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? How, what's a hypocrite? It's somebody who says one thing and does another. It's somebody who says, I want you, you, you need to do this. And then they go and they do the opposite. You know, the hypocrisy is a, it is a discouraging thing. And a lot of times that's what keeps people. It's one reason why Jesus I think was so hard on the Pharisees and he called them hypocrites over and over and over again. Why? Because they would teach one thing and do another and that was keeping people from coming to God. I think there's a, you know, God, to this very day, we, know, we all need to be guarded against hypocrisy. Although, let me say this as a side note. If you're one of those people that say, well, I don't want to go to church because of the hypocrites. I, I, can, I, can I lovingly say to you, get over it. Okay, there are hypocrites in church. I'm not, I'm not down it. There's been plenty of times I've probably been a hypocrite. They're, 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 but like someone said one time, I'd rather go to church with a few of them than go to hell with all of them, right? Don't worry about the hypocrites. Jesus took care of them and these men were bad to say one thing and do another. They honor me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me, meaning they're just, they're fake. For number eight, he says, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Did you catch that? You reject God's commandment to keep your own tradition. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. And that's what the law said. Back then, you know, if you did, if you you know, dishonored your mother and father, you didn't just get a timeout, right? I mean, as, as an adult, anyway, as an adult, if you dishonor, did something to dishonor your folks, you could literally be put to death for it. He said, the law says, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses them, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever prophet might come, have received me as Corbin, that is a gift of God, then you no longer let him uh, do anything for his father of mother. Look at this, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. Making the word of God no effect because of your traditions. Ultimately, here's, here's the bottom line. 
It took something so simple as honor your father and mother, respect them, and, so, uh, and, and help them in their older age. You provide for them. People put up you know, uh, money to help them through retirement and stuff. And so what happened both basically was these Pharisees found a loophole. They found a way where somebody could take the money that was set aside to help their aging parents and give it to God or give it to the Pharisees. I mean, they found this loophole. So ultimately, Jesus is saying, look, you're taking a simple commandment of honoring your, your family. You're putting your own spin on it and you're complicating it, making it harder than it needs to be, causing people ultimately to sin against God. They had another issue with, with the Sabbath. Um, you know, God in his commandments said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So what, what was the Sabbath day? It was you work six days and you rest on the seventh day. That was known as the Sabbath, the day of rest. And, and that was a good thing. God did that not just for him. You know, the, the Sabbath day where we come together and we keep it holy, we honor God, we, we should do everything in, we're, in our power to rest on the Sabbath day. I'll just, I'll just throw this out there. I didn't mean to, but I'm just going to throw this out there. I mean, I realize that sometimes things happen and we got to do stuff on Sunday. You know, your water line breaks or your cow gets in the ditch. I understand. But can I encourage you for your own good this morning? Just as a little side note, didn't even mean to say this, but it just comes to my mind. Um, and I have a tendency to say what comes to my mind, which gets me in trouble at times. But let me just say this. The Sabbath day is a day where you rest, where you, your body gets a chance to recharge do you know why one reason I think our society is so stressed to the max? Because we run wide open seven days a week. Amen? So the Sabbath day, God invented the Sabbath day for us so that we would have a day to rest and recharge our batteries. But the good old Pharisees took something that simple and took it, turned it into rocket science. So you can't do anything on the Sabbath day if it even resembles work. So one day Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field they're hungry, and they reach over, and they pluck off some of the grain off of the stalks, and they start eating it, okay? And the Pharisees watch them. Number one, you find the Pharisees are following them around everywhere they go, watching what they do. Why? To find fault. And so they, peel, they, they pick off some grain, and they begin to eat it, and the Pharisee says, oh, you broke the Sabbath because you, that they considered that work. Now, God didn't say you can't pluck some food, you know, you can't eat, they took their own tradition and made it harder than it needed to be, and they started to find fault. And Jesus says, guys, look, you're, you are not thinking about this right at all. You're, you're, this is not rocket science here. God made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. There was even one time Jesus healed a guy, okay? This guy who's crippled. He, he had never been able to walk his entire life. Jesus heals him. He rolls up his bed. They had, he always had this little mat, this cot thing that they would roll out, and he would lay on it every day. And so the guy is healed miraculously, stands up. He's walking all over the place. This is great. He rolls up his bed, and he's walking around. And the Pharisees said, hey, you just broke the Sabbath because you rolled up your bed. You see, they, they missed the point completely. They missed the point of the Sabbath. Sabbath is not, and does that happen today? It still happens today. I got an uncle, not to sling mud, but I got an uncle who pastors a church over around Hartville, and he had this guy show up in his Sunday morning service one day, pointing his finger at everybody and telling them that they're going to go to hell because they're, because they're having their church service on Sunday instead of Saturday. So that's, that's not what this is about, right? The Sabbath doesn't have anything to do with the calendar. 
in our mind, we get all mixed up. And we say, oh, well, okay, well, the, Sunday's the first day on the calendar. So that must mean that Saturday's the Sabbath. That's, and it, it's, that's not the point. The point is, you work six days. On the seventh day, you rest. In our culture, we work from Monday to, thir- to Saturday. And we rest on Sunday. That's what it's all about. Work six days, rest the seventh. It's not about what, if we, if we, have, if we work from, if our week was from Thursday to Tuesday, we, Wednesday could be our Sabbath. The idea is that God puts something in place, a commandment that makes our lives better. And there's always somebody to try to complicate that and make us think that God is not findable. You understand where I'm talking from, coming from today? I said, do you understand where I'm coming from today? <laughs> oh, good, good. You understand. All right, good. <laughs> so, so turn over to Turn over into Matthew chapter number 23. And I want to kind of work our way through this chapter because, again, this is, uh, um, this is a, an encounter. This is the encounter, you might say, that Jesus had with the Pharisees where he kind of just laid it all out on the table. And so, again, my, my hope this morning is that you'll do what I've done. And I'll, I'll, I'll heed this word and look at my, do a search in my own heart and see is there a little bit of Pharisee in me? And if there is, I'm going to ask God to cast it out. Amen? I'm going to ask God to, to take that away and help me to see the simplicity that, that is in his gospel. So Matthew chapter 23, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Jesus spoke to the multitudes and said to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. And we just determined a minute ago that that by definition is what? A hypocrite. Look at what they do. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. What is they, what's he saying? They're making serving God harder than it needs to be. Somebody today... In this place, you may be making serving God harder than it needs to be. Maybe to you, God seems like this, this big, huge, holy being way out in the cosmos that you can't possibly please. And that's not the case. I want you to know this morning, right? Off, can I just tell you right off the bat that your life, the way you live your life, in every aspect anyway, is not going to be pleasing to God. <laughs> right? Because we're all human and we all fail and there are going to be times that in our life and in our decisions that we don't necessarily please God, but that does not take away from how much he loves you. Amen? And he says, so he says, these guys are making it harder than it needs to be. Verse, verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places of the feast, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi, or teacher. Ultimately, what he's saying is these Pharisees are more concerned about what people think of them than they think about what God thinks of them. Again, search your own heart. Do you have a tendency to care a little bit more about what people think of you than, you, than what God thinks of you? Might be a little Pharisee in there. These guys were prideful. They, they made their preacher garments big and boisterous so that they wanted to make sure when they went to G&W, everybody knew that they were the pastor. Everybody knew they were the preachers. They were the big dogs. And they wanted people to say, hello, hello, rabbi, hello, teacher. They, they craved the praises of men. God said, that is not at all what 
my intention was. And he goes on to say there in verse number 11, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He said, Jesus said, you guys are making this too complicated because Jesus himself, being God in flesh, came from heaven to earth and he said, I did not come to be served by people. I came to serve people, to help people. And therefore his church should be the same. He goes on to say in verse number 13, woe to you scribes. Now, when, when Jesus is saying to them, woe, he's not, it's not like a horse, you know, pulled by. I mean, when, when in the Bible, when somebody says woe unto you, that's like, that's like horrible, bad, stinky stuff to you, right? Just a, I mean, it's, it's really bad stuff to you. And that's Jesus saying, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Here he says it again, hypocrites. For you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. They're ripping off widows, The widows who the church, the religious, the servants are supposed to care for and take care of, they were ripping widows off. But boy, could they pray, right? Boy, could they pray. They could stand in church and they could give an eloquent prayer in King James even. But they're ripping off, they're ripping off widows. They're saying one thing, they're doing another. You you shall receive the greater condemnation. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte or one convert. And when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. In other words, they're trying to to get people to follow them and turn to this ritualistic Pharisee way. And Jesus is literally saying, when you make a convert, when you get somebody to follow you, they are worse off now than they were before. Because not only are they still lost, but they're lost and they think they're okay. That's a dangerous place to be in. A sinner, a person who doesn't know the Lord, that knows they don't know the Lord, you can can reach that person. But somebody who is walking completely contrary to the will and to the law of God, but thinks they're okay, that person's hard to get through to. That's why Jesus had such a hard time with the Pharisees. By the way, the Pharisees are the group that really led the charge to crucify Jesus. Blind, like he said, they're, they're literally worse off. You think it's possible? Let me just throw this out there. And, and, and these are things, maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning as a pastor because I know that when I stand before God one of these days, <clears throat> I'm going to be judged by the way I preached. I will. I mean, not only do I have to give an account for my own life, but in a sense, I've got to give an account for yours, at least for what I preach to you. And, and, I, and I know that. And I, and I take that very seriously. And so I, I try to look at this myself. I want to make sure that everything I do and say is drawing people closer to God. But folks, I know, and I've come across, I've been in ministry for 20, almost four years. I've come across uh, several different situations in church circles and, and, you know, so, I mean, literally supposed to be Christian churches where people go to the churches and they're, they're literally worse off than they were before. They're fed some sort of traditional religious Christian doctrine that's not even biblical and it's harder to get through to those people and jesus is saying do not complicate things he said you're blind guides he says to them you're fools you're blind he goes on to say um you don't have a problem with people swearing against the temple but you don't want people swearing against the gold that is in the temple ultimately basically what he's saying is this you're more worried about the church money than you are the church mission Lots of churches over the course of many years have split because of the money. They're not concerned about 
the church itself and the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to go out and preach the gospel to all creatures, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The mission of the church is to lead people to Jesus, but people get all caught up in the money and think that that's the issue. Now, sure, I mean, that's important, but that's, that's not the issue. That's the way, if you have a tendency to think a little bit more about the church money than you do the church mission, you might have a little bit of Pharisee in you you need to deal with. And maybe nobody, has. I'm not pointing fingers. He goes on to say down in verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So, you know, he's referring back to the, you know, in the Old Testament law, God put a principle into place of tithing. You know, taking uh, the, the first 10% of whatever, you know, whether it's money, whether it's uh, your flocks, whether it's your produce, whatever, they would take the first 10%. They would give that unto God. That's, that's what a tithe is. A tithe literally means a tenth. And so these, these Pharisees, because that's part of the law, were faithful to do that. I mean, they were tithers to the point that they even tithed on their herb gardens. The, the smallest of herbs, when they would grow them, they would make sure and tithe that first 10% of those Little bitty herbs. But the thing about that was they weren't doing it in the right frame of mind. They weren't doing it because they loved God and they honored God and because they were thankful to God for providing for them. No, they tithed so that they could brag on how much they tithed. If you've ever said to a pastor or to a preacher, I think you ought to do this, and if you've ever referred back to how much you give in connection to that, you might have a little bit of Pharisee in you. People do that. I've had that happen. Nobody here. <laughs> I've had that happen. You know, we put quite a bit in the plate. As though that should trigger me into doing whatever they want me to do because of the money that they put. That's a Pharisee mentality. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Yes. Okay, thank yes. you. All right. Yes. <laughs> Verse 24, I love this. Have you ever heard, you ever heard the phrase, uh, gagging a gnat, swallow a camel? Did you know that's in the Bible? Did you know that that's actually, actually uh, Jesus that said that to these Pharisees? In this conversation to the Pharisees, he says to them, blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. It sounds kind of funny, but if you think about it, ultimately what he's saying, you know, they were so particular to make sure that everything that went in their mouth was, was pure. You know, Jesus, even though Jesus is saying to them, no, it's not what, it's not what uh, goes in the mouth that defiles a person it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person they were all concerned about what you eat and what goes in Jesus said that's not gonna that's not gonna turn God away from you it's what comes out of your mouth he goes on and gives a list the hate hatred and the murder and the hypocrisy and all it's what comes out of your mouth it's what you say it's what comes out of your heart that's what actually defiles you and so he said, here, these guys are doing everything in their power to make sure that they don't take in even the smallest speck of something dirty. They would take a, a filter and sh but they, before they drank wine, they would pour that wine through a cloth that would filter out even if there was the smallest of gnats. They wanted to make sure they didn't eat that, that gnat. If they, if they swallowed that gnat, oh no, I'm defiled before God. You go through all of that, Jesus said, to strain out that little bitty gnat and then you go out and swallow a camel. What is he saying? Ultimately, you're, you're making a big deal out of something that really shouldn't be made a big deal out of. But things that are a big deal, you're sweeping them under the rug and making them no big deal. So in the area of tithing, you say, look guys, that's good, you, you need to do that. But he said, you're leaving out the most important part, 
justice, mercy, faith. That's what the gospel is ultimately about. You and I being, being human beings who have sinned and failed God from the moment we come out of the womb. Yet God still loves us and still died for our sins. That's mercy. That's what the gospel is all about. Not about whether you tithe or whether you wear your clothes a certain way. It's all about justice and mercy. Jesus is saying, don't overcomplicate. Guys, it is, it's not rocket science. And that Paul in, in 1 Corinthians Paul is writing a letter. First of all, he went into Corinth and, and, and preached the gospel and people were getting saved and he established a church there. And that church began to do what a lot of churches even today do. They began to major on the minors, right? They begin to major on the minor stuff, meaning they get too caught up in all of this stuff rather than what they're really there to do as a church. And they started following people and well, no, I like Paul better. No, I like Apollos. And all this, this division and friction in the church at Corinth was going on. So Paul gets his pen and paper out, and he writes a letter to them to put a stop to it. And he says to them, look, guys, Christ is not divided, okay? And he said, that's one reason when I came into Corinth, I was determined that I would not preach anything except for Jesus Christ and him crucified when I came in to preach the gospel, I made sure I didn't add my own opinions. I didn't add any traditions or any rituals. I just stuck to the basics, the simple gospel that Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. And whoever believes in him can avoid hell and go to heaven. Simple. Sure, you, you start in, in Genesis and work your way through Revelation, you'll find some stuff that's awful complicated to read. I get that. There's a lot of individual stories within the Bible and a lot of them hard to understand. But when you take the whole picture, Genesis to Revelation is not a bunch of little stories. It's one big, huge story. And that story is simply this. God created man. Man sinned against God. God didn't bail out on man. He still loved man even though he failed. So therefore, to pay for that sin debt, God became man. He became flesh. He died on the cross to take our punishment so that we then could go free and live for eternity with God in heaven. That's pretty simple. To whosoever that believes. Paul said, I made sure I didn't overcomplicate it. I kept it simple. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's, the, it's all about the blood of Jesus, folks. That old, very, very simple chorus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Sing it with me. Oh, the blood of Jesus it washes white as snow that's all you need to know it's that simple it's not rocket science if you hang a left there in Matthew you go into this 22nd chapter chapter 22 verse 35 it says one of the lawyers came and asked Jesus a question testing him and saying Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments, ultimately, what is Jesus saying here? When they come to the Lord, what's the greatest commandment? What do we, if I can do this and not do that, what, what is it that will guarantee me a spot in heaven? And Jesus said, let me do you a favor. Let me simplify everything, okay? All of that Old Testament rules and law and all this stuff, let me, let me just take all of that confusion and roll it all up and let me just give you the bottom line, Jesus says. Love God with all your heart. Put God first. Jesus said, if, if you seek God's kingdom first, everything else will be added unto you. The basic necessities of life. Seek God first. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, it's not rocket science. Love God, love people as yourself. Everything in the Old Testament, all of the law of the prophets hangs on those two things. It's simple. Very simple. You ask yourself when you're tempted and when you're about to be faced with something, you ask yourself two questions and it tells us whether it's right or whether it's wrong. Is what I'm about to say or do going to honor God or is it going to bring reproach on God? Is what I'm about to say and do going to show love to somebody or is it going to hurt somebody? That's pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty simple. Don't let people's ignorance and people confusing things confuse you and get sidetracked off what really, really matters the most. I remember growing up in church, and I used to always hear preachers quote, the, they'd always quote, and they'd say, the Bible says that, that it's, the gospel is so simple that even a wayfaring man can understand it. And I searched the Bible over, and I could not find that anywhere. So a wayfaring man, a person who travels, a fool, you know, a person without understanding, it's so simple that even a wafering person doesn't understand it. And I, I look and look and look and find that. And I finally found Isaiah chapter 35, 8, which I think is where they get that from. It says, a highway shall be there. And this highway is talking about is literally the, the gospel. It's a prophecy of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation of mankind, being through the blood of Jesus. It's a prophecy about that that's going to happen. He said, a highway shall be there, a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein, shall not go astray. The path, is, the path of the gospel is so clearly marked, so simple and able to understand that, that even a fool can't miss it. So you know what that ultimately means? That it's so simple that even a wayfaring man can understand it, right? That's not how it says it, but that's literally, that's true. Anybody can understand the gospel. It is always such a, it is such a precious thing to me when a young person who, who gets to that age where they understand between right and wrong, we like, to, we like to doctor it up and make it sound holy, the age of accountability, right? That, that word's not in the Bible, but it's that age when a kid understands I've done wrong and wrongdoing brings about punishment. You know, I do something wrong, I'm going to get a spanking, I'm going to get a timeout, or I'm going to get a timeout to think about why I got a spanking, however you do it. Or somebody breaks the law and they go to jail. They begin to understand that concept. And the Holy Spirit so gently begins to deal with a young person. And for that person to understand in that moment what this is all about, it's precious. Even a kid can understand it because a kid's not going to overcomplicate it in their mind. I remember... Glendella's uh, daughter Shiloh one time when she was a little girl the church we used to go to down at Blackjack we were in the middle of the service one time and uh, 
she just starts crying, just out of the blue, starts crying. And we're like, what in the world? Oh my, what going to the wasp sting you or what? You know, we can figure out what's going on. And she said, Jesus died. There's this picture that, we had, that was hanging on the wall in our sanctuary, hung there for years. And it was a picture of Jesus on the cross. Hung there since I was a little kid. And she had seen that picture a hundred times. But in that moment, she's seen it and realized, the Spirit revealed her, she realized in that moment what it was really all about. She didn't need to know. She wasn't like sitting there thinking, okay, well now, uh, her first question was not, so how do I tithe? (laughs) It wasn't, oh, am I dressed right? Or how do we... No, none of those rules or traditions or none of that matter. All she knew was in that moment, Jesus really suffered and died. This picture depicted the suffering of Jesus. And in that moment, she realized, oh, I get it now. I understand. It's that simple. Thank you, Lord, for making it that simple. Gospel, the word of God, so complex yet so simple Bobby sent me a, Bobby Gregory sent me a picture here all back, a text. I want you to go ahead and put this, that picture up, Jennifer, back there on the screen. This is really cool. I don't know if you can dim the lights just a little bit so we can kind of see the colors that are in that. So basically what this is, is it's a diagram where they've taken all of the cross-references of the Bible, okay? In other words, if you know what a cross-reference is, it's like if you read about a certain topic in Genesis, and then you read about that same topic in 2 Thessalonians. It's a cross-reference. In other words, the Bible refers to the Bible. And there are so many places where the Bible connects. And so it's like each one of these little, little lines is, is a verse. And then each one of these little colored lines goes to where it talks again about that same verse. And so you take one topic and you're going to find it all throughout the entire Bible. And when you connect all of the dots of cross-references within the Word of God, this is the kind of picture you get. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing how beautiful is that and it shows when we look at that how complex the word of God is, how amazingly put together, miraculously put together the word of God is. Yet so simple is its message of for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's very simple. Amen? Very simple. Or some disciples came to Jesus one time and they said, hey, Jesus, we saw this guy. He was out preaching about you and he was casting out demons and healing people and stuff, but he's not doing it the way we do it, so we stopped him. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what happened. We, we, we stopped him. He wasn't doing it the way we do it, so we put a stop to that. And Jesus is like, dude, stop being such a Pharisee. He didn't say that. I made that part up, but that's ultimately what he said kind of sounded like the Pharisees there. And this is what Jesus said. No, 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 guys. Look, you understand. He can't be speaking against me if he's speaking for me. We want to look at all these other churches and the way they do it differently and point fingers and find fault. And Jesus said, hey, if they're teaching about me, leave them alone. It's It's not that complicated, right? Jesus goes on to say, if somebody gives you a cup of water in my name, they won't lose their reward. That's pretty simple. You see somebody in need of water and you give them water, that's ultimately the heart of gospel. Why? Because that's mercy. That's mercy at work. I see somebody I don't even like, but they're broke down on the side of the road. That person cusses me like a dog last week, but I'm going to stop and I'm going to help them 
Because that's what Jesus would do. Amen? That's easy. That's easy. You might be able to go to Mardell's and buy a 75-cent bracelet that would save you an awful lot of problems. A little bracelet that says WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's simple. We read and we study. See, a Christian is not a person that goes to church. A Christian is a person who follows Jesus Christ that shapes their life after the life of Jesus. That's what a Christian really is. You know, it was just a few weeks ago, stood, I stood right here and preached the funeral for Dan Euler, who laid right here. Dan was, you know, 80, in his 80s. I don't think his family's here today. I don't see them. Dan was a very precious man, very, very kind man. And a person like that, it's easy to preach a funeral for somebody like that just because he, was, he always had a smile. He was always an encouraging word. The Bible, the Bible says that a tree is known by its fruit, okay? So if I go to a tree and there's apples hanging on it, I don't sit there and go, I wonder what kind of tree that is. Or I don't say, I bet that's an orange tree. No, I, I know it's an apple tree because of the fruit that's hanging on it. So Jesus said, you're, a, a tree is known by its fruit. And so a person, a Christian, a true Christian is known by their fruit. Not, not the leaves, not the, the bumper sticker on the back of the car, not the t-shirt, but by the fruit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith, self-control. These are the fruits, the, the, the characteristics of Jesus. A Christian shows in his life or her life the characteristics of Jesus Christ. That's how we're known as a Christian. What was the very, very first verse that we used this morning that will, will be known? Jesus said, People, all the world will know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Not by the way you do church. By the way you love one another. It's not rocket science. It's not that hard. And, and Dan, by the way, was like a pilot. You know, he like flew. He literally probably could fly a rocket. Okay. <laughs> Very, very intelligent man. But here's the, here's the thing, this is, why I, this is why I bring him up. Because he was just, he's one of those guys that, he wasn't just a hearer of the word. You know, the, the Bible warns us about being a hearer of the word and not a doer. Come to church, go to Sunday school, go to Bible study, and you hear, hear the word all the time, and you know the word, you can quote it. But if you don't go do it, then it's really not doing you any good, right? So to be a, a doer of the word, to put it into practice in your life, that's ultimately what it means to be a Christian. And so Dan, um, one thing I learned about him, and I, this, this doesn't surprise me just because I, I always had a lot of respect for him and believed him to be a good Christian man. But it, it, they put in his obituary, he, he fought in Vietnam. And in Vietnam, he prayed for the Vietnam soldiers. He testified about that on numerous occasions. It's one thing his family knew about him and respected about him. He prayed for the guys who were shooting him, shooting at him. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian because that's what Jesus did. Jesus prayed for the very people who were nailing him to the cross. Dan prayed for the guys that were shooting at him and trying to kill him. It's not that complicated. We make it complicated. But God, through his spirit, gives us the power to do what we got to do. Love God. Love people. Follow Jesus. Not rocket science. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, it's not rocket science. So quit being such a Pharisee. Bow with me. Father, today as we come before you this morning, 
I think it's always behooving, Lord, for us as your people to just kind of start by repenting. Judgment begins in the house of God. It's right here where we realize we can never be effective to the lost world around us, Lord, if, if we've shut ourselves off, if we've declared ourselves to be perfect and without failure. God, we just thank you again for opening up your arms, making a way for whosoever, any person that would humble themselves and repent and call out to you could be saved. I pray that today, God, that there might be a soul, many souls, any soul here today that's not saved, should they, should they go out of this world, should, should their life end today, would be lost for eternity in hell. God, we can't, I can't stand that thought. And I pray that today they would see and understand how easy it is to be saved. How easy it is to avoid hell. And to be confident that one day when this life is over, they're going to be with you in heaven for eternity. Hallelujah. God, I want to... Lord, I want to make it hard for people to go to hell. I want to make it difficult. I want to make it so easy. Let people see how simple it is, how much you love them, that nobody in this room will ever miss it. Would you deal with hearts today, as I know you are? Would you drive away the forces of hell, the lies of the enemy that whisper in the ear, to try to confuse things and complicate things. God, just let all of that just die out in the background and let them just hear your voice clearly today. Leading them in, calling them in to a relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Everybody just stay in an attitude of prayer if you don't mind. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed this morning as they sing a song of invitation. I just, I want to see you saved this morning. Maybe God's dealing with your heart. You just feel your heart maybe pounding out of your chest and you just, you know, something about this message resonates with you this morning and you can feel, you can sense God drawing you today. We want to give you opportunity to come to the Lord this morning. We would invite you to step out of your seat and come to this altar if you feel led and compelled to do that. Kneel down and just pray. Come stand up here. I'll pray with you. I don't care call me back there. Raise your hand. I'll go back there. It don't matter where you're at in the building. We don't want to make rocket science out of this. It's not about where you're at in location to the building. It's all about where your heart is located. Where's your heart right now? Is God dealing with your heart? If he is, call out to him from right where you sit.